Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. It's been a long time since cybersecurity professionals were actually IT auditors. But IT auditors were one of the first groups involved in setting up ISARCA, which today is one of the principal organisations providing accreditation and skills training for information security professionals. But that's not all it does. The organisation is involved in setting standards, developing tools for secure software creation and driving areas such as digital trust. That puts ISARCA in a very good position to take the pulse of the cybersecurity industry. And our guest for this episode is their Chief Strategy Officer, Chris Dimitriadis. We discuss the growth of nation-state threats and cybercrime, the industry's focus on ransomware, how organisations need to pay more attention to response and recovery from a cyber attack, and the need for better collaboration between firms and government in countering cyber threats. Then, of course, there's the issue of the industry's ongoing skills crisis. First, though, I asked Chris to talk us through some of ISARCA's history and set out its current purpose. So ISACA was established uh, more than 50 years ago um, as uh, an organization for IT auditors. Um, the purpose back then was to train um, auditors in uh, information technology to create the good practices, the guidelines in order for uh, this profession uh, to be um, actually born and then to uh, be you know, um, spread uh, around the world together with uh, the technology proliferations, early technology proliferations back in the day. Uh, so since then, ISACA has um, um, invested and grown into several different uh, domains on top of IT audit into cybersecurity, privacy, risk management, into governance of technology as a whole. And, um, I, but the purpose remained the same, to be able to create uh, that workforce, to contribute uh, internationally, globally, into creating a workforce of uh, professionals that uh, operate in those domains and uh, who contribute into creating more trusted digital ecosystems that in turn act as the backbone, as the backbone of the world economy. Um, so ISAC is providing training, it's providing credentialing, certifications in those domains I just mentioned. It uh, creates um, uh, the good practices, it creates frameworks. One of the very famous ISACA frameworks is COBIT. Uh, COBIT was adopted uh, back in 2002 when the Sarbanes-Oxley regulation came into force in the United States and helped um, enterprises in the US, but globally as well, in order to establish internal controls. Um, particularly as far as information and information technology is concerned. Uh, ISACA has also um, acquired CMMI back in 2016 uh, from Carnegie Mellon University in an attempt to uh, increase its uh, impact globally, uh, focusing more on uh, software development, uh, maturity and capability assessments. And uh, since then we have um, also um, uh, grown CMMI to be in a much more uh, generic maturity model that may be addressed in uh, uh, process improvement and uh, also in a number of vertical industries like in the medical uh, device uh, industry. 
Uh, today, ISACA is um, ISACA's purpose is to help individuals and organizations realize the positive potential of technology, and uh, we do that by introducing a broader notion we call digital trust, which is about um, combining, converging several different domains, cross-fertilizing contents between those domains, for example, between cybersecurity and privacy and the audit and the overall IT governance and management in order to address um, the modern needs, uh, which um, require more holistic approaches, um, a more holistic view on digital ecosystems than siloed organizations, as well as better collaboration between uh, departments and, in the, and professionals in those digital ecosystems, the cybersecurity uh, function, you know, the audit function, the privacy function, risk, and, uh, and so on. So this is who we are. We have a uh, presence in more than 180 countries around the world, 225 chapters uh, in those countries and cities, and um, around 170,000 members and around half a million engaged professionals uh, who are working together in order to save the future of uh, the professions that we serve. We'll pick up the point about collaboration in a moment because that's really important. But, you know, it's a large-scale industry that we're now dealing with. And perhaps if we go back to when ISARCA and similar organizations were being founded, it was a relatively small cadre of professionals working in quite specific areas that perhaps were not that well known to people outside the, the IT industry. Now we have these much more high profile threats and the interweaving of many of the controls that you talk about, so you've just been speaking about there, into our daily lives. So from your perspective, you're in charge of strategy at ISARCA. What would you say are the key threats and challenges facing the information security profession? One of the main challenges for the cybersecurity profession uh, is to be able to interpret the value of cybersecurity and try to also make it a little bit more quantifiable because uh, board of directors and CEOs, still they speak a little bit of a different language than cybersecurity professionals. So uh, as a community, we need to make this interpretation. For example, it doesn't make sense to go to a board or a CEO and discuss about the number of vulnerabilities uh, that an organization or a digital ecosystem has. One has to explain that in business terms, in terms of brand name, in terms of uh, a monetary value, in terms of uh, contribution to the company, in terms of uh, the continuity aspects uh, of the company. Uh, and in order for the cybersecurity message to be listened and subsequently to be funded. So still, um, cybersecurity by many uh, executives is considered um, very technical. And uh, for most of the industries, of course, it's considered as a non-revenue generator, which is a huge problem when it comes to uh, budgeting and funding. Uh, so we need to change our approach and um, convert and switch our roles into more of um, business roles, no matter if we're CISOs or simple or single security managers within a, uh, within a small to medium enterprise. Um, because this is key in order for cyber for the cybersecurity message to be listened uh, in a way that uh, benefits uh, an organization and an ecosystem. So that I think that's the main challenge. Uh, uh, and as a derivative, let's say, of uh, as a result 
of this challenge, um, we also see um, um, less investment than appropriate in, uh, in cybersecurity. And at the same time, we see a huge gap in talent uh, and a huge gap in the workforce, cybersecurity workforce uh, globally. I mean, every single region has the same problem. They can't find the right uh, cybersecurity professionals to hire. And it's interesting how big that gap is and that the number, which is generally regarded to be around three, between three and 3.5 million vacancies worldwide, that number has been fairly stable over the last few years. I will ask you about skills again in a moment, but before we get to that point, what about the threat landscape? Because clearly we're talking about investment in security and potentially your argument is even an underinvestment in security, that perhaps organizations are at best viewing this as an insurance policy. But what changes are you observing in threats which potentially could force organizations to devote even more of their limited budgets to this area? I think that two are the primary um, trends. One is that uh, the constant trend that the cyber threat landscape is expanding both in size and in sophistication, uh, both in terms of the attack surface and in the sophistication of the attacks. And this is very worrying, especially with our um, intention and thirst to consume uh, emerging technologies. Uh, we have the metaverse, we have uh, AI, recently blockchain as well, and the previous years, uh, quantum computing, all those technology trends that will save the future, our future, uh, are providing an opportunity for um, a growth uh, in a company, uh, provide an opportunity um, uh, for success, for differentiation, and it's obvious and uh, expected that um, enterprises and governments all over the world would like to adapt those at a fast pace. Uh, in order to be able to differentiate themselves and to provide better value to their citizens uh, in terms of, uh, of governments. So if you combine the two, I mean, the increase of sophistication and the even more rapid proliferation of emerging technologies, then we have like an explosive um, case uh, as far as uh, the cyber threat landscape is concerned. Uh, so this is the first one, and the second is more about uh, the trend that we see about attacks uh, reaching more and more small to medium enterprises and many enterprises that uh, they weren't considered to be a target. We see, for example, ransomware attacks uh, hitting a lot of um, uh, SMEs um, because ransomware attacks, again, follow the um, uh, follow the money, uh, let's say, role. So um, attackers in that space are trying to, um, you know, expand uh, again their uh, reach and uh, make as um, much money they can from small to medium enterprises on top of the larger enterprises where, which were at um, the epicenter in the previous years. And they'll always go after weaknesses or perceived weaknesses and the SMEs without the resources, and it's not just money, is it? It's skills and availability of people as well. They'll always go for that weak spot. Uh, have you detected, though, an influence of geopolitics, particularly with the war in Ukraine? Have we seen an increase in nation-state actions in cybersecurity threats potentially affecting government and also industry as a result of that? Absolutely. And um, we are monitoring those trends. Uh, I mean, um, the more uh, a government, a state, depends on technology, 
the more vulnerable it becomes from a cyber threat point of view, right? So um, this is evident, uh, especially if one uh, studies the initiatives that are being taken uh, by governments, by the US government, by uh, the UK government, by the EU, by several different governments around the world, which are uh, taking action in order to improve their cybersecurity posture. Uh, and they're making decisions and they're passing new regulations in order to make sure that um, uh, their um, cybersecurity capability, both at the government and industry, from a government and industry point of view, uh, meets um, uh, the needs. So definitely there is uh, um, an increased interest uh, in that space. And um, uh, this, of course, is um, at the end a good message, a good result um, uh, for, for cybersecurity. And do you see, though, if you break down the number of threats, a change in the balance between nation state actors and, say, crime based groups? I wouldn't be um, certain about the exact balance between them because they have totally different motives. So one group is uh, looking to serve the interests of um, the nation uh, they serve. Uh, the other, um, um, the cybercrime uh, groups are more about, of course, um, making more um, uh, making more uh, money so uh, having said that uh, both motives are uh, of course um, very very strong uh, both the monetary motive and uh, of course serving the interests of, uh, of a nation and um, the expectation is to see both of them uh, grow rapidly in uh, even more rapidly in the near future again due to the dependence um, of um, the capability of a nation or of an enterprise, in the second case, on uh, on technology. And again, we've seen this in particular with ransomware, where you have crime groups backing ransomware or launching ransomware attacks. You've had states creating ransomware and wiperware attacks. And then you've had groups in between that perhaps are not avowed by states, but they have at least the tacit backing of states. They're allowed to carry out those activities from those territories and potentially keep the profits as long as it aligns with the wider geopolitical orientation of the country that's hosting them. So does that make it harder for organizations to combat these threats? It does. Um, it, it becomes harder and harder, especially if uh, you haven't decoded uh, the way forward. If um, uh, an organization hasn't create uh, have not, has not created yet the capability uh, in in cybersecurity by capability, many people believe that capability is uh, about prevention, but uh, capability is also about um, response and recovery. Uh, and this is certainly a focus area um, uh, for enterprises. It's uh, not anything new, but um, uh, still uh, it's, uh, it's extremely important, this capability uh, to be complete uh, in all cybersecurity pre uh, pillars from uh, prevention to recovery uh, in order for somebody to claim that uh, this risk is somehow managed. Uh, but again, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, organizations around the world are facing uh, the workforce uh, gap uh, issue and uh, no matter how much the trust we put on cybersecurity technologies and how much smarter and automated they become still uh, we need um, uh, people uh, maybe in different 
uh, roles and uh, with slightly different uh, professions uh, in order to uh, to manage those controls and to create uh, design the right cybersecurity architectures in order to uh, make sure that the focus uh, on um, the right uh, assets uh, within an enterprise or an ecosystem and so on. Uh, so definitely this is very boring and uh, definitely action needs to be um, uh, further action needs to be taken there in order to address uh, this uh, negative trend. I think it's very important as well that we understand where ransomware fits in because not all ransomware attacks, but perhaps the majority, even the vast majority of them, exploit known vulnerabilities. So a lot of what's going on there is actually a lack of resource by organizations to deploy updates, to monitor their systems effectively, to use their SOCs effectively. It's exploiting, in some cases, vulnerabilities that were patched or patches were provided for years ago, isn't it? Absolutely, this is spot on, uh, Stephen. It is exactly as you said it, because the attackers are always trying to find the shorter path in order to um, get to their end goal. And uh, many times we think that um, those sophisticated hacking groups, they're using um, like state-of-the-art um, uh, techniques in order to uh, bypass security controls. But in reality, they focus on um, the very basic and simple security omissions because they know that especially due to uh, complexity uh, in technology architectures, it's very easy to identify uh, a vulnerability that's um, very basic, attack it there, um, reduce their cost for the attack and achieve the same uh, result. So it's, it's spot on. Do you feel, though, that perhaps we are putting too much emphasis on ransomware relative to the other threats and organizational challenges that we face as an industry? It is the big thing, it gets the headlines, but maybe at the level of detail below, there's areas that are not getting enough attention that are being overlooked because of that. I think we do um, uh, pay a lot of attention and we provide a lot of visibility to ransomware cases. Um, this is not uh, bad um, uh, in particular because um, um, unfortunately, many times in order for an organization to react, you need to provide an example or even for that organization to suffer an attack uh, in order to react and invest more in cybersecurity. This is an inconvenient truth, but still it is a truth in cybersecurity. So the more we um, provide visibility to ransomware, which is very easily understood, um, I think the more we uh, convey the message that uh, cyber the cybersecurity threat landscape is here, it's evolving and it can impact anybody, not just a large um, organizations. That's one. The other reason uh, why this is happening is that uh, ransomware attacks are pretty evident. I mean, um, you know, an organized hacking group um, encrypts um, data, they ask for ransom, uh, they may um, uh, also uh, blackmail for you know leaking the data to the dark web and so on. So, in order to achieve their motive, they have to disclose the attack, right? And this is not the case in other types of threats, like in uh, espionage, for example, or um, the attacks that you mentioned earlier on for, that are uh, state-sponsored. Um, and which are very persistent, very quiet, under the radar, and they may be achieving their goals and motives without being, um, without needing to disclose um, the attack. Because they don't ask for ransom, they may just want to steal 
information or intelligence uh, from a country or from an organization, right? So that's another reason, I think. So if you were to take on the role of a CISO, which would be your priorities? If I put you on the spot there. Definitely, I would start by um, linking um, cybersecurity with um, the targets of the organization uh, in order to explain uh, the value and the contribution of cybersecurity to the wider possible audience within the organization to get to achieve a buy-in. Uh, and I consider this as a prerequisite uh, in order for cybersecurity to be successful. Uh, I would then uh, definitely focus on the larger ecosystem because no organization nowadays depends on its own. I mean, there are um, business nowadays is done by, through partnerships, through becoming parts of uh, a larger ecosystem, through um, becoming part of a supply chain or by having a supply chain in order to be able to provide your services. So uh, I would definitely um, also try to follow uh, an approach from the external to the internal, uh, try to secure manage risk for the overall partner network and the uh, supply chain and the ecosystem uh, in order to um, minimize uh, risk as much as I can. And definitely I would also put a lot of focus on uh, response and recovery um, because you know, the probability of a cyber incident is very high, especially if you become target of a very highly sophisticated group. Um, so if this is a given that uh, one will be hacked one day, why not focus, put a lot of focus on response and recovery. So I'm sure that the organization I work for has the capability to go back to business fast and to minimize the impact. Uh, if, of course, we accept that one day, you know, any organization can be hacked. How, though, are you seeing organizations being impacted by budget pressures? Are we seeing reductions in spending on IT overall and potentially on cybersecurity? Uh, it depends on the industry. I mean, in high, highly regulated industries, um, these investments have to be constant, if not um, uh, increasing. Uh, so wherever we have um, a compliance needs, uh, we see, certainly see this as a trend in highly regulated industries like the financial sector, uh, and so on. Um, in uh, industries where which are not highly regulated, indeed, there are many budget uh, challenges and pressures as a result of uh, um, uh, the crisis, especially as a result of um, um, the crisis that um, uh, was caused after the uh, war in, uh, in Ukraine. And um, as organizations are trying to survive or even to uh, maintain their profitability, um, definitely cybersecurity doesn't, you know, sound like a priority unless uh, one becomes uh, a victim. Uh, again, um, <laughs> this is the truth and, and the fact that um, we see all around the world. Uh, so it, it depends on the maturity of the organization, it depends on, um, uh, on the maturity of the leadership in an organization, it depends on the awareness and education in cybersecurity of, uh, of the management group. And uh, this is what differentiates at the end of the day, um, one organization from another, as well as the successful organization versus the unsuccessful one, uh, because long term without cybersecurity, there is no success, guaranteed success for an organization around the world. Tell me, though, about what we need to do about skills or what we can do about skills. 
So um, definitely, um, we need to uh, increase the cybersecurity workforce um, globally. Again, there is no region that's, um, uh, that doesn't have this problem. And uh, at the same time, we need to uh, make sure that we create more holistic professionals. That's why we, uh, again, at ISACA, we came up with a notion of digital trust. And by more holistic, I mean cybersecurity professionals who understand and speak business, who understand how technology and digital transformation projects operate in order to be able to, um, um, again, um, map and align the cybersecurity designs with the PNL of a project in order for this to, to be feasible and to happen within, um, uh, within the project, I mean, for cybersecurity to be embedded. We need the cybersecurity professionals who understand about assurance uh, because you can and, and nobody can um, uh, claim that um, cybersecurity is robust without a very strong assurance uh, arm. And this understanding is needed in order to increase the collaboration with the audit uh, department, to have auditable um, uh, technologies, architecture in place, to have less complexity in place and so on. And uh, we also need professionals who understand emerging technologies, because if you don't understand the basics of an emerging technology, then there's no way that you can protect it. We use AI as a buzzword. Uh, we discuss a lot about AI, but uh, when AI becomes part of the ecosystem, which we're trying to protect, then we will never be ever be able to uh, be effective if we don't understand the basics of AI. So. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, we need to um, create um, definitely vertical experts in cybersecurity, but at the same time, provide them with more horizontal scheme, uh, skills from adjusting professions and to uh, also infuse some soft skills uh, in this training uh, as well. And this is what we're trying to do at ASACA globally uh, with, uh, with digital trust. So definitely, uh, on top of that, we need better uh, collaboration between uh, private and um, um, uh, public entities. Uh, we need uh, more incentives for cybersecurity uh, in order for organizations to be able to train and create that uh, workforce. And uh, we also need to make sure that um, in these efforts, in order to create the workforce, uh, we also measure and monitor um, uh, performance um, uh, and the increase of that workforce because you can't really improve what you can't measure. And how important is that collaboration in your view? Because it's one way of getting around the skills problem, but at the other hand, on the other hand, it's tended to be organisations have wanted to keep their intellectual property close to themselves. They've tended to not want to deal with direct competitors we have seen some success in financial services and other sectors where that is to some extent mandated or driven by government and regulators. But more broadly, do you think that collaboration can really help with the infrasecurity stance of organizations? Is that something that you see ISARCA and other organizations such as yourselves driving? Absolutely. Um, so this cyber threat landscape, it, it has no boundaries, uh, not only between countries, but also between uh, industries and uh, organizations as well, because as we said, uh, today we speak about more about digital ecosystems than uh, siloed organizations, right? Uh, with, a, with a big supply chain and so on and so on. So having said that, information sharing from my point of view is key uh, in order for the cybersecurity community to be more prepared 
uh, in order to be able to exchange information that can be used in order to predict um, uh, attacks in a more effective way, in order to analyze the behavior of the attackers, in order to uh, be more um, effective in, uh, in, in, in prevention uh, as a whole, but also in order to be more effective in detection when uh, one identifies similar partners, and especially in response and recovery, because um, I, I can't highlight uh, how enough, how important uh, response and recovery is, and without this collaboration between government and the and the industry, or between um, different governments around the world, um, I, I think uh, it's it's going to be very very hard to uh, to respond um, to a trend to a phenomenon that again has no boundaries. Chris Dimitriadis, Chief Strategy Officer at ISACA, on the need for better collaboration between the public and private sectors, on the need to boost training, and on how information sharing is one of the best ways to bolster our cyber defences. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we look at the ongoing issues of defending critical national infrastructure and hear directly from a CISO who's on the front line of protecting a healthcare provider. Until then, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.